Today's reading is 1 Kings chapter 9, verses 1 to 18. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he travelled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Saphat, from Abel-Meholah, succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all those whose knees have not bound down to Baal, 
and his mouths have not sinned. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Muriel. And thank you for the invitation to be here with you. It's a real privilege and pleasure to be sharing with you this morning. Um, as you may have gathered from the prayer time, um, I'm a clinical psychologist by training, um, and I support people who are missionaries working around the world, often being in contact by Skype and internet when there are things like the coronavirus in China and touch with workers there and how they cope with that or other traumatic incidents. Um, but today we're thinking about the story of Elijah and realizing that in the Bible, even um, people who are held up as great prophets, as uh, examples for us to look up to, sometimes had really tough times. And uh, Elijah, in the passage we just read, got very low. But to put it in context, I just want to tell you um, about the chapter before that, where Elijah seemed quite high. Um, he had had a contest where the prophets of the false god Baal were set up against Elijah, the prophet of Jehovah, the god of Israel. So it was 450 to 1. He challenged these 450 prophets. You pray to your so-called god to send down fire from heaven to destroy this sacrifice. And I'll pray to my god and we'll see who can do it. And Elijah had such huge confidence that uh, when the false prophets were, were screaming out and self-harming and all sorts of things because they weren't getting any fire, he just taunted them and said, you know, maybe your God's sleeping. Maybe he's busy, which I think literally means maybe he's gone to the toilet. So he was jesting them and their God, and they got nothing. They tried for hours. There was no fire. And so then it was Elijah's turn. And he had such confidence, he told people, pour four jars of water all over my sacrifice to make it a bit harder to burn up. And then do it again, another four jars. And let's have another four jars. So you had this absolutely soaking altar. And then Elijah prayed, and God sent the fire. And you would think after that, Elijah would be on a huge spiritual high. Oh, this has been wonderful. He's shown who the true God is. But actually, he's probably exhausted, which isn't surprising because he's had a pretty busy day. He's climbed the mountain, built an altar, chopped up a bull, prayed fervently, seen the fire come from heaven, seen all the false prophets get slaughtered, and then he's run in front of a chariot all the way to Jezreel. So we can excuse him for being a bit exhausted. But then he gets the death threat from the queen. And this man who had beforehand had such confidence that God was in control. God could do the miraculous. Suddenly, all of that crumbles. One teeny little death threat from a lady, and he's gone. So off he runs, afraid, running for his life. Elijah's name actually means, my God is Jehovah, my God is the Lord. And he knew who his God was. But he went from the spiritual high to the low, and we can all have those times when we go from a high to a low. Um, and so we're just going to think about some of the things that God provided for Elijah at that time, some of the things that are helpful if we're depressed, 
uh, if we're stressed. So I'm going to use the acronym STRESS, because I think that's something we can all identify with, and, and ways that we can help others who are going uh, through times of stress. So if we start with S, any guesses what the first S might stand for? Something early on in that reading that God provided to help Elijah when he was so low, so desperate, just saying, God, let me die. Sleep, well done, absolutely. Very basic, God let Elijah sleep. He must have been needing sleep. And often when we are stressed, when we are low, when we are anxious, sleep is the one thing that can really help us to feel better. And none of us function well in a lack of sleep. Those who've got young children may well uh, be in that time of life. And I've been through that where you're constantly just tired. Um, and when we are stressed or low, depressed, sleep is one of the hardest things to do sometimes. Um, and uh, there's a lot of help on the internet on what we call sleep hygiene strategies, techniques that can help. One that I use with people during um, depression and anxiety is not counting sheep. That doesn't often work for people, but counting backwards from 5,000 in threes because you can't think of anything else while you're doing this. And it, so it stops you worrying and going round and things in your head. But it's also mentally tiring and it's really, really boring. And to do that in bed with your eyes closed tends to send people to sleep. If people are very good at maths, I get them to count down in sevens instead. I had one professor who said seven was too easy. He counted backwards in 14 and a halfs. And that worked for him. So, you know, but threes is quite enough for me. But there are things like that. There are things like eating bananas. Did you know bananas have a natural sedative in, a natural sleeping um, tablet in a banana? Um, and sleeping tablets, sometimes when times are really bad, pills are what helps. As Neil was saying, sometimes we need to take the tablets, not addictive ones for a long time, but you know, a, a non-addictive tablet. Um, Moses got given tablets by God. Yeah, two tablets with the Ten Commandments on, but you know, he got tablets. So you know, God's not against tablets. Um, sometimes when people need them, that's what we need if, if it's our chemical balance that needs to be helped. But yeah, whatever, however it is to have sleep really helps us. What about T? What do you think T might stand for in that story of Elijah? Ooh, I think I heard it there. Touch, thank you. I've actually got two. Touch is one of them. And what do you think the other T might be? Something else that Neil talked about that we can do that helps people talk, brilliant, talk or tell your story. Um, so those are, there are two T's there. So touch, first of all, the angel touched Elijah. And sometimes it is physical contact. Obviously, you have to check with someone. You have to know the person. Some people do not want touch. Absolutely, that's the worst thing. But for some people, just a hand on the shoulder, knowing that someone is there, praying for a touch from God for that person, just as the angel touched Elijah, is part of that healing process. We know that babies really need touch. In the 1980s, there were babies in orphanages in Eastern Europe who were given food. They had their nappies changed, but they didn't get touched. There just weren't enough staff. And they, they withered away, some of those, from that lack of touch. Um, I don't do animal experiments, but people who have give a monkey a choice of being with a wire monkey 
that can feed them or with a cuddly monkey that's got no food and they choose the cuddles rather than the food. We all need that touch, especially sometimes when we're feeling low. Um, but then the other one, the talk or being able to tell your story. Did you notice in that passage how many times God said to Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? Yeah? How many times? Twice, yeah. So why did God ask him twice? Had he forgotten? In fact, why did God ask him once if God knows everything? Now, I don't think it was for God's benefit, and I don't think God had forgotten, because Elijah said exactly the same story twice. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty, blah, 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 blah. It, I think it was for Elijah's benefit that he needed to tell his story. When I'm working with missionaries, one thing we do is what we call debriefing, which is just letting people come and tell their story of how things have been and talking about how they are at the moment and looking for the future. And so God debriefed Elijah. And there are lots of lovely examples in the Bible of God or Jesus debriefing people. I think of Jesus on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples who are talking about the death of Jesus and they don't realize that it's the Lord who's walking with them. Jesus could have said straight away, oh, you don't need to be sad anymore. I'm here walking alongside you. It's me. But instead, he let them talk about their sorrow, about what had happened and their disappointment and their, their loss. They walked all the way from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And then he revealed who he was. And they ran all the way back again. It's quite a journey. And uh, he could have stopped that. But there was a need for them to process, to tell their story before they moved on to the next bit. Or the woman who touched um, Jesus' cloak. She had an issue. We all have issues. She had an issue of blood, and she touched Jesus' cloak. And Jesus said, who touched me? And you think, why did he ask? Because it gave her a chance to tell her story. So she didn't just get the physical healing, but the emotional healing from telling her story of 12 years of suffering um, medically. And she then got the social healing of people knowing that she was no longer unclean, and the spiritual healing of Jesus saying that she was forgiven. And so it was important that she told her story. In the Garden of Eden, God, again, let Adam tell his story, saying, where are you, Adam? God knew that, but it was allowing Adam to tell the story of what had happened. So there's so many examples where people in the Bible are just able to tell their story. And sometimes we have to do it more than once. Elijah did it a couple of times. Just being able to talk is part of the healing process. Okay, what about the R? Or some people might put R and R. What might that stand for? Rest and relaxation, or rest, some people call it rest and recuperation, um, rest and uh, recovery. Um, so yes, rest and relaxation, and I've added and retreat. So Elijah went way off into the desert, away from everybody else, under a tree. Now, a broom tree isn't the most beautiful of trees, but in the desert where there is no other shade, it's a beautiful thing to be able to rest under a tree. It also indicates there's probably water somewhere that its roots are going down to. And so he just rested under the broom tree. He had a bit of a retreat where you go off on your own. He left his servant even. He was all on his own, and he was able to hear God. So having that rest and relaxation is, is really important. Um, as Christians, sometimes we sing songs like, I will give myself no rest until his kingdom comes on earth. I think, actually, that's quite unbiblical. 
because the Bible in both Old and New Testament talks quite a lot about rest. There is a whole theology of rest, of Sabbath, of taking a day a week where we rest, um, but also more generally of, of having those rest times where we can hear from God, those retreat times when we can find out um, what God wants us to do next. Um, sometimes as Christians, we're not very good at saying no. And I know I tend to take on a lot because there's always so many needs, so much that needs to be done. Um, and one of the most useful Bible studies I ever did was looking through the Gospels, noting every time that Jesus said no or didn't meet a need that was there or didn't do what people wanted him to do and seeing how many times there were, so many times when Jesus actually said no to people or perhaps at the pool of Bethesda, he healed one person, but he didn't heal all those other people who were sick, who were around the pool. But Jesus knew who God was calling him to at that time and what wasn't his task for that time. And I think, yes, if Jesus could say no, or sometimes people say, come to this other town and heal there also. He said, no, this is not what my father sent me for. I've got to go and teach in this place. And being able to know what is it we're meant to do and doing that willingly, but also to know when we can say, no, this is my time for rest, is really important for all of us. What about E? What might E stand for? Something that eat is good, isn't it? Absolutely. Then I'm going to balance it out with another E. After we've eaten, maybe we should balance it. Exercise. <laughs> You're really getting this. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, so in our passage, God provided for Elijah, what was it? What food? Bread. Not just any old bread, freshly baked bread. And some versions even say a cake of freshly baked bread. That always sounds better to me when it's got cake in it. Um, but this cake of freshly baked bread, we can think freshly baked. Often when we're low and struggling and stressed, we lose our appetite. But there's something about the smell of freshly baked bread that can bring you back that appetite. That's why supermarkets tend to pipe that smell of freshly baked bread through the store to make you want to eat and you buy more. When my husband and I were selling our house, we were told if you bake bread before viewers come, then they're much more likely to want to buy the house. So we tried it, but we forgot to turn the cooker off. And so there was this burning smell as people arrived. And, you know, people also told us it's good to have lots of plants around. We kept forgetting to water them. So dead plants, burning smell. Um, but, you know, we sold the house exactly the day we needed to, the day before we went off to Nepal. So it all worked out. Um, but that freshly baked bread. Now, do any of you real Bible scholars know what Elijah was eating a couple of chapters earlier? Around 1 Kings 17, God fed him in a different way. Ravens were giving him, it says meat, well done, meat out of the mouths of ravens. Now what sort of meat do birds usually carry? Well I think of worms, that's kind of the meat that birds often carry. Ravens to the Jews were unclean birds. So if you can imagine, that doesn't sound the most appetizing for a Jew to be eating meat or worms out of the mouth of an unclean bird. But if you're starving, it's something. But in this passage, it's as if God knew Elijah needed more than 
wore himself to the mouth of a bird and provided his own personal angel to bake the bread. It wasn't just kind of sent, you know, Tesco Bell loaf sent there. It was a personal angel baking the bread for Elijah. It's that extravagance of God, knowing sometimes when we're in that desperate state, we just need that little bit extra and we do need to eat well. And, uh, and then after He'd eaten and he went back to sleep and then he ate again and he drank his water. So it was a couple of times. Then he had his exercise. He went off for 40 days and 40 nights through the desert. Um, it, apparently it's about a 200 mile journey. So that would be about five miles a day. So he's not overly pushing it. It's not a marathon every day, but it's a consistent. He was exercising, presumably on foot. He could have been on an animal, but either way, you know, it was good exercise. And this is good for us when we are stressed, when we are depressed. Um, exercise is something that gets prescribed by GPs. It releases your endorphins, your natural opiates in the brain. Even if it's just a little bit of walking, uh, it's good for our mental well-being. So Elijah had his eating and his exercise. Okay, now we've got two S's left. The first of these, it's towards the end of that passage, and there were some funny names. I'm glad I wasn't doing the reading. Um, any guess for what the first of those S's might be? Elijah, a world little shepherd. Well, well, we're getting very technical. So, um, not quite, but it does have to do with Elisha or Elisha. Um, he was part of this. It, I'll tell you because it's a tricky one. Successor. Yeah, he was the successor. And also support. So Elijah kept saying to God at his end of his debrief in this field, he kept saying, I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Um, so he was saying, I'm the only prophet, who's the only one who's still following you, God. This kind of saying, this has all been a waste of time. This whole ministry has been wasted. It's all over. When I get killed, there's going to be no one else who still serves you. Um, and it's also a sense of isolation. I'm the only one. We've got these 450 false prophets against me, and everyone's following them. I'm the only one left. And God sort of opened his eyes to actually, there are still 7,000 who are following me. And we may not have 7,000 people supporting us and friends and family, but often we can uh, have our eyes open to someone, some friend, some family member, uh, some professional who can come alongside us when we feel I'm the only one, I'm so isolated. It's a really important part of mental health to have people, friends, family members, people that you can talk to who are just there to support. There were also some kings um, that Elijah was to anoint. And that was kind of delegating. He didn't have to do everything himself. The kings were going to take some of the tasks. And then Elisha, his successor. Um, it's Instead of Elijah saying, this is all going to be in a waste of time, it's going to die out with me, God was saying, actually, I'm going to recommission you for a new task. Now you're going to mentor someone who's going to take over as prophet. And he was being given a whole new role, being told, you can mentor this young prophet, you can teach him, he's going to carry this message forward, you're not um, the only one left. So there were the people to delegate to, there were the 7,000 others who were on his side, and then there was one 
he could um, pass his mantle on to, one he could mentor uh, to come uh, to continue the work. So the last S, what do you think that might be? What haven't we talked about? Strength, okay, what sort of strength? It's not the word that I was thinking, but it definitely fits in. Ooh, supplication, that's a nice word, yes. <laughs> I like these, I like these. Um, not exactly what I had. After the earthquake, wind and fire. Silence, thank you, yes. Um, so the spiritual side, I haven't talked about. Sometimes when we're really low, we're not yet ready for the spiritual side. I know of someone who was exhausted and she went on a retreat and said, you know, what should I do here? What should I read? What should I pray for? And the nuns at the retreat center looked at her and said, just sleep. And she said, no, no, I need to be doing things. Where should I walk? What should I study? They said, no, we will pray for you. You just sleep. And sometimes we need to sleep and eat and be touched and talk. And once we've done all of that, then we may be ready to hear that still small voice or in Hebrew, apparently, it says the sound of silence, that oxymoron, the sound of silence. So the spiritual part, hearing what God's saying, once we've taken care of the physical needs, we may be ready. And if we're too busy and always active and doing and never saying no, it can be hard to hear in the silence, to hear what it is that God's saying. I find it really interesting that God wasn't in the earthquake, the wind and the fire. You think the day before, God had proven himself by sending the fire. And with the Israelites, there was the ball of fire. And God has spoken in fire in the past, and including, you know, on this mountain where, where um, Elijah had gone. Or the wind. We've got lots of that today. Um, the wind was the breath at the start of creation. Uh, the, the wind of God, we'd come across at other times before this in the New Testament. Um, or the earthquake, the earth shaking. These are all ways, dramatic ways, that God has shown his power before. But God doesn't always do the same thing again. We can't you know, tell God, you've got to talk to us the way that you've done before. God comes in and does something new. And so this time, God was doing something new, speaking in that sound of silence. And it was there um, that he recommissioned Elijah and, and met his needs. So after all the rest has passed, we get the spiritual side and the, the sound of silence. In the New Testament... We hear about Elijah, it's held up as this example of someone who prayed. We're told in James 5, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. And we've certainly got that rain today. Um, so he's held up as this example of this is how we should pray. But I think it's almost like God's sense of humor that in this passage, Elijah's prayer was, God, let me die. And God never let Elijah die. Elijah, at the end of life, is taken up to heaven uh, in a chariot. And it's as if God's teaching us sometimes our prayers aren't the right prayers. Sometimes he's not going to answer it with a yes. He's going to do something even better for us. And even the man who we're told is the example of prayer sometimes got it wrong. I find that really encouraging because I often get it wrong. 
and, and to think that, okay, even all these great biblical characters can get it wrong. They can have their low days. They can have the times like Elijah feeling suicidal. They can pray the prayers which are not the right prayers. And God's big enough to deal with that and to give the answer um, that's the appropriate answer. Um, so just uh, some closing thoughts to think about. When we're aware of people who are low and stressed, we can help them by giving them that time to sleep, to rest, praying for them to be able to sleep, listening to their story, and if appropriate, offering, offering touch like a hug, but only if appropriate. Um, having recreation together if they need that company or retreat, eating together, encouraging exercise, giving that support, that listening ear, and then helping in the spiritual life, helping them to hear God's still small voice. And for all of us, the question to leave is, you know, what might God say to us in the stillness if we have that time to stop and to listen for that still small voice? And how would you answer God's question? What are you doing here? That's what he'll ask Elijah two times. And sometimes I think, what would I say if God says to me, what are you doing here? Like, okay, let's, let's think about how we answer that. Um, so thank you. And um, do come and, and chat to me after the service if there's anything else that you would like to say. Um, but God bless you. Thank you for that. Do you want me to introduce the song or are you going to come? Thank you. Thank you so much, Debbie. That was really helpful, wasn't it? Um, just to have that practical advice.